Welcome, new listener. My name is Patrick O'Reilly, and firstly, I want to thank you for bothering to check out the show. It's been a labor of love for us, and we're flattered that you've stopped by to see what we're about. That being said, I would caution against judging the show by the quality of this, our inaugural review. We're constantly improving our format and audio quality, and so our pilot episode is a bad example of what the show has become. I would suggest instead that you start with a title you are intimately familiar with, because we will talk through the entire plot, spoilers and all. And, let's face it, Just Tell Me What You Want is nobody's favorite movie. If you've already heard a few episodes, and you're here as a completist, then welcome, and I'm sorry about this one. I've wrestled with re-recording it all together, but decided against a revisionist take here, so if you're committed to listening anyway, please trust me that the show gets better. Without further ado, here is our review of Sidney Lumet's Just Tell Me What You Want. We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human I thought they smelled bad on the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. And by real time, I mean on the 40th anniversary of their release in the United States. Uh, I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Just Tell Me What You Want on January 18th of 1980. It was written by J. Presson Allen, directed by Sidney Lumet, and released by Warner Brothers. Richard, would you care to summarize the plot for us? Sure. Hmm. <laughs> Just Tell Me What You Want <laughs> is about a pioneering young woman who uh, is, I guess the term would be sugar daughter? <laughs> If you have a sugar daddy, are you a sugar daughter? Uh, sugar baby? Sugar baby? Is that what the candy's called? <laughs> uh, she's been in a relationship with this man since she was a teenager. Uh, she's basically indebted all of her career, but she wants something more out of life. And when she tries to branch out on her own, he gets he tries to get a little vengeful, trying to crush her attempts to get out from underneath him. Only to, I mean, are we going to spoilers? Only to come back to him. Yeah, I because have a I guess that that's we is should, what you want. We wants. should preface this with: we are going to spoil the film. Yeah, <laughs> in our review of it. Uh, well, you're supposed to say that before you spoil the film. <laughs> I don't think anyone cares about this movie. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. The review has begun. <laughs> all right. It's a bizarre movie. I, the first time we watched it, uh, I, I was remember just remarking on how not funny it was. Yeah. It's like it didn't know what genre it was going to be, if it was a comedy or a drama. Right. And it rides the line so hard that it, it never leans either way. Yeah, well, and it's funny because it starts off with the, you know, she does the whole line of, this is the story of how I got married, you know, and it's... Yeah, they and, play it like it's a st- standard romantic comedy. Right, they think it's a romantic comedy, you think it's a romantic comedy, and then, uh, you know, in, in some, somewhere around the middle of the film, she she does get married. She goes off and marries this, you know, this this playwright. And, and you're like, oh, and you're like, that's oh, okay, that's how you got married. married. Oh, it's okay. so cute. This this nice guy you got away from this, you know, this horrible man that was doing these terrible things to you, and, yeah. uh, and you got away. But and then now they, you're happy. They dip into that stuff, and it gets real dark. Yeah, but well, it's also weird because it has like a cold open of like a scene from the middle of the movie that's very slapsticky to yeah. introduce you to the story. Uh, and then because my second viewing of this, I was like, this film is really disturbingly dark. I feel it like is. Sidney Lumet um, thought it was a dark comedy. Yeah, it was this 
because you know because we open up with an abortion yeah that's like <laughs> I mean, the first it's, plot it's point po- it's post-abortion yeah i want to cover the the making of before um we get too far in um so in 1975, Jay Presson Allen, the screenwriter, published her first book, which is Just Tell Me What You Want. And it was quickly optioned by Warner Brothers for half a million dollars. So keep these numbers in your head. 500000 Half a million dollars so far. That's where we're at. Uh, Mike Nichols was briefly attached to produce and direct, but Sidney Lumet was later hired. He cast Alan King, who he'd worked with a couple times before. But this isn't. this is King's first leading role. Um, possibly ever, but at least in a Lumet movie. I didn't check to see if he had other lead roles. Um, apparently, Sybil Shepard was told she had an audition for Ally McGraw's part, and when she found uh, Sidney Lumet on the Universal lot, he told her that she was mistaken and that it was already cast, so she fired her agent. Oops. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so that's awkward. Um, Ally McGraw was So paid- she really wanted that, huh? Apparently, I think she, you know, figured out later that that was probably for the best. No, no, I, I don't think it was uh, her loss. Um, Allie McGraw, though, for this film, was paid six hundred and fifty thousand dollars plus a share of the profits, which couldn't have been it, it couldn't have been anything because the movie made two million dollars before Warner Brothers pulled it out of theaters after two weeks. Um, but six hundred fifty thousand dollars is a pretty good amount of money, right? It is, and when you put it on top of the five hundred thousand they paid for the script. And they probably paid Alan King more because it's 1980. Right. <laughs> so that's like almost the whole $2 million blown already. You didn't even get into the production costs. It's yeah, literally just paying the, the lead actors. And Myrna Loy, you have well, to pay her a lot. Well, and Sidney Lumet wasn't a, wasn't a, like a first-time director. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, several this films was, under his belt. Yeah. And Myrna Loy was 75 at the time. This is her final film. Um, and she plays the role of, of Max's secretary. Max is, is one of the two lead characters of the film. Um, the sugar daddy to the sugar baby previously mm-hmm. discussed. This is also apparently Michael Gross's first film in a blink and you'll miss it appearance as Lothar right. in one dinner scene. <laughs> Lothar. Yeah. I, I don't even know. Like I, I watched the movie twice now and I, and I still don't, didn't catch him. <laughs> Lothar is the, is someone they were considering to do the adaptation, the screenwriting adaptation of Peter Weller's play into a movie. Oh, okay. But, but he was but, unwilling to drop his price. Yeah. He was too expensive. And okay. so they were like, well, he was like, well, I could just do it myself. Um, and Christopher Reeves was offered a role in the movie and passed on it. I'm assuming that's RoboCop. Y- yeah, that would That make would sense. be the, the role that would fit him the best. Principal photography for the film began on January 29th of 1979. The production designer Tony Walton based Max's home on Zsa, Zsa Gabor's home. Okay. It was just like 99% mirrors. <laughs> Perfect um, for filming. Yeah, great. That's yeah, really every good everything for like all the doors are like very carefully opened at weird angles so that you can't see any crew. I'm assuming it was like skeleton crew anyway, but yeah, um, they had no money left over to pay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't know what the budget was. Um, his office was based on uh, John Kelly, who was at the time the head of Warner Brothers office, um, and the screening room, which was featured in the film, was copied from the basement screening room of Buddy Rogers, who was an actor and the second husband of mary pickford but um to get back into Sidney lumet like you were saying that he's, he's obviously not a first-time director and this was actually like uh i mean his first big one is probably 12 angry men yeah but this came as like the fifth in a series of like really celebrated films but then this one was like the clunker that nobody remembers kind of i mean if you go in order on his imdb page you have serpico 
and then he did a murder murder on the orient express with right. albert phineas poirot which i would love to see i haven't seen that is, is that the one that won best picture uh did a murder on the orient express win best picture i, I don't know why i thought it hold on one one oscar hang on oh sorry best actress ingrid berman sorry i was gonna say i didn't think that was in my my memory list of best picture winners um but I would love to see that. I mean, I, I like Kenneth Branagh as Poirot, but Albert Finney would be really fun, especially you know, a young Albert Finney. Yeah. But then after that, he did Dog Day Afternoon, Network, The Wiz, and then this. <laughs> it's like one of these things is not like the other. Like, you remember all these other movies. Yeah, but I also feel like The Wiz kind of stands out there. Like, That's I, true. Like, I don't think that if you were going through directors at the time, you'd be like, oh, you know who'd be great at The Wiz? Yeah. Let's get Sidney Lumet in here. Yeah. <laughs> Any African American especially, director, <laughs> there must have been at least one, right? Yeah. <laughs> especially after Network, that's still a weird choice. I agree. Although there is a lot of like fun imagery in Network that I can see, like all the stained glass stuff and the weirdly shaped offices in the in the Network building. Were there any musicals on the list up to that point? For City um, Limit? Yeah. I don't think so. I mean, like he, yeah. The only other one that I had on here to mention was uh failsafe which is uh i know of it because uh and they talk about it in uh stanley kubrick's autobiography it came out the same year as dr strangelove and the story was so similar to um, red alert which is what dr strangelove was adapted from that they sued them and i think they actually won Hmm. um but both movies ended up coming out in 1964 um with very similar storylines but no i don't think lumet has any other uh, musicals to his credit at least not at this point in his career yeah um the writer jay press on allen who as we said before had written the the book that this was adapted from was predominantly a screenplay writer before so even before she had written this book she had written screenplays for movies um she wrote uh, marnie for hitchcock she wrote cabaret for bob fossey um she wrote funny lady with the barbara streisand movie and then uh she also is somehow an uncredited screenwriter on the 1976 version of Star is Born, which also had Streisand. So I don't know if that means like... Well, she was she was a script doctor for a long time. Yeah. So, so I, I don't know if that means they brought her in after the fact to fix it, or yeah, if Streisand probably. and Christofferson just completely <laughs> abandoned what she had written. Oh, no. I mean... I could see it working she, either she, way. She probably has a lot of uncredited um, writing stuff, because yeah. the, the Wikipedia was saying that she was a, a script doctor. Like and- Princess Leia. Yeah, and she said she preferred that because, you know, she would come in and, 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 you know, the producers would just be desperate for a script. And she's like, you know, like, I didn't care about credit. Like, I just wanted to come in, make this thing better. You know, you, they also get paid way better. Yeah, they get paid way better. And, and at the same time, there's not the drama of like, oh, now you're on the hook to write this script and everybody's hounding you. And they're, you know, it's script by committee and all this stuff. Yeah. And it's just like, well, no, you're just coming at the end and everyone's desperate for you to just make it better. And they're just, here's your money. Go do it. Yeah. And I haven't seen Marnie, but, uh, I mean, all those movies are pretty well-celebrated movies. Right. Getting into the cast a little bit, Alan King, who plays Max Herschel, the the uh, media m- mogul of the, the centerpiece of the story. Um, I mostly know him from Friars Club Roasts, um, <laughs> when... Uh, my brother and I used to stay up really late and watch uh, In Living Color. They would play all these commercials where you could buy the the older Friars Club roasts when it was like all the Rat Pack and everything. <laughs> oh, and it was, God, I remember those. It was always Alan King officiating. So that's what I always think of him uh, first. But prior to this movie, he doesn't really have a lot of big film credits. Um, 
after this, he has like Bonfire of the Vanities, Casino, and I think he was the bad guy in Rush Hour 2, or like he's definitely on the bad guy's team. I don't know if he's the main bad guy. He seems like the money behind the villains or something. Well, I, I remember him mostly from uh, Cat's Eye. Uh, I don't know he's, that he's one. A, he's a, you don't know Cat's Eye? Um, you see a, that movie? Uh, maybe I have. No, <laughs> no, I'm we're judging forgetting you now. it. What yeah, is now it? Now we're judging you. That's the, the Stephen, Stephen King. King. It's like uh, a short story anthology. No, yeah. I haven't seen this one. Oh, there's a great. Well, the the James Woods segment is where he's trying to quit. He's trying to quit smoking. Is that post 1980 Cat's Eye? Yeah, it's 85. Okay, good. We'll get uh, to it. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, James Woods is, joins this really aggressive anti-smoking organization where they follow you around and whatnot and. And Alan King's like the, the head like of slap it. the cigarettes out of your hand. Uh, no, they uh, <laughs> kidnap your wife and torture her. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, so that's a little more extreme than I was thinking. That's like the game. Version. Yes, but but for quitting smoking. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the, obviously the other lead is Ali McGraw as Bones Burton. They, um, they never go into that. Like they what, never. Why her nickname is Bones? Yeah. Why is her yeah. nickname Bones? Like, does we, she have another name that is like Bones? Yeah, I'm not sure is, on that. You know, was she an archaeologist? Yes. <laughs> like, <where laughs> prior to this, she was yeah. An prior to being a 16 year old sugar baby, you know, right, taken off the street by this mogul. Yeah. At the at the beginning, they they talk about um, Bones says that Myrna Loy's character was there to like usher these women into this program where she would like fix their teeth and get them educated and make them like suitable mistresses for mm-hmm. Max. And they called them the Herschel Scholars. But um, Allie McGraw is like the number one Herschel Scholar right now. She's the first mistress. And, and, and uh, her big selling point was that she had a perfect bite. Right. That she never had to have. Yeah, she didn't like, have to that, have That's your defining moment? But it's funny, too, because at the beginning, you see Myrna Loy on the phone, and she's like, no, he's not going to pay $15,000. He only kept the last one for a year, so <laughs> we're, not, we're not doing this anymore. But um, Allie McGraw, prior to this... Um, it's basically just Love Story, which was a full decade before this. Um, she did a lot of other movies, but nothing that like I feel like people mention a lot. There was also The Getaway, which, um, if you don't know her life story, which I learned from the movie uh, The Kid Stays in the Picture, the mm-hmm. documentary on Robert Evans. She was married to Robert Evans, who was the head of Paramount Pictures at the time. Um, and then they made the movie The Getaway, and her she was opposite Steve McQueen and left Robert Evans for Steve McQueen. Uh, I have a I have a movie on my server that I haven't watched with her yet called Convoy, with uh, Chris Christopherson. It's a okay. Sam Peckinpah film. Oh, that sounds good then. Yeah, I have not watched it. Uh, it's seventy eight, uh, but uh, that's the only like I'm looking at looking at her credits like oh Convoy I know yeah. I know of that movie yeah, and then uh, we said before Max's secretary is Myrna Loy playing yeah, Stella yeah. Liberti who um, apparently was an uncredited chorus singer in The Jazz Singer in 1927. She had a lot of uncredited roles and a lot of roles as Slave Girl <laughs> going through her credits. But that's crazy that this is her la- her last movie was in 1980 and she was in the first like sync sound picture in 1927. Right, right. Um, she was also obviously in six Thin Man movies. She was the Nora to William Powell's Nick in the adaptation of Daniel Hammett's hard-boiled detective novels. She was also uh, the female lead in Best Years of Our Lives, which did win Best Picture mm-hmm. in 46, or won it in 47, was released in 46? I'm not sure. Um, she was also in Mr. Blanding's Builds His Dream House, 
which I feel like I've watched recently. That's the one with Cary Grant where he like quits his life and starts building a house. I don't think I watched that with you. No? Okay. <laughs> and she was also the the mother in the original Cheaper by the Dozen, which uh, I mostly remember the book. I've never seen the original Cheaper by the Dozen movie. Oh, you haven't? No. I actually really like that movie. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And I've only seen the, the recent one. Oh. <laughs> there you no, go. the original one's really good. I would watch, watch one with Myrna Loy and Steve Martin. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then getting into some of the supporting cast, we have Keenan Wynn. Yes. Just amazing. Um, he was also in one of the Thin Man movies. He was in Song of the Thin Man, which I think is like the fifth or sixth installment because Song of has to come late in the series. Like, who who does Song of for a sequel? It's usually like Song of Ice and Fire. You know, that's a pretty. That's not a sequel. Yeah. Well, it it will be. What? <laughs> <laughs> um. Apparently, Keenan Wynn was an uncredited bartender in Touch of Evil somewhere. Okay. Um, I mean, he's unmistakable with his voice. Right. He, he and and Edwin both have that yeah, voice. Yeah, his father. That's those voices. They're, they're vastly different voices, but they're so identifiable. But Keenan's also changes a lot from film to film. Yeah. Like, he's doing a bizarre accent throughout this entire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, apparently, like, he was the one who talked his dad into pursuing acting. And, of course, if, if you're not familiar, Edwin went on to do... The voice of like the Mad Hatter and like a bunch of Disney cartoon characters and his Uncle Albert and Mary Poppins, right? Oh yeah, floating up in the. But Keenan was also in a lot of Disney stuff. He was like in the Love Bug and right. Uh, and uh, I, I, my one of my father's favorite films is Point Blank. Uh, not to be confused with Gross Point Blank, but Point Blank, <laughs> which was what the movie, uh, the recent adaptation was uh, with Mel Gibson was Payback. Okay. Uh, that's the that's the basically the the remake of that film. Well, I like uh, I like Payback, so I'll have to check out Point Blank. He was also in a Twilight Zone episode. Um, the title of the his segment was called "A World of His Own," which is the one where the writer can like will things into being by describing them into the tape recorder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, which is funny because it kind of got remade as that Paul Dano movie Ruby Sparks. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's kind of the same story. Um, and then my favorite role from Keenan Wynn was as Colonel Bat Guano in Doctor Strange. <laughs> now, look, Colonel Bat Guano, if that really is your name. And then he, it looks like he did like some crazy sci fi stuff in like the mid to late 70s with Orca and Laser Blast. Oh, man. I, I don't remember him in Orca. God. You remember orcas? <laughs> oh, because I, 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 I don't. The last lie. time I tried to put it on, you were like, "Do not put this on with the kids away." Yeah, yeah. The very first scene is a dramatic murdering of a whale or something. Yeah, yeah. It's this pregnant whale is hauled out of the ocean, and it's in such trauma and terror that it gives premature birth to a whale fetus that falls onto the deck of this ship. Oh my god! And it's the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. Uh, it wasn't even scripted. This is just this, all, this is all in one shot. This happens. <laughs> But he's also in Piranha, which is magnificent, with Joe Dante directing. Um, and he, I guess he has a part in Parts of Clonus Horror. I didn't realize that. He's got to be a scientist or something in that. Um, what movie? It's called Parts of Clonus Horror. And, I, I, you, um, said, you said it again. I still don't know what you're saying. A Clonus? It's a terrible <laughs> yeah. title. A so it's really, yes. Parts a Clonus Horror. What does that mean? What does it mean? That's a good question. <laughs> Parts is parts. Apparently E.E. E. Cummings wrote it. But here's the thing. Um, I'm familiar with that movie firstly because of the Mystery Science Theater episode about it. 
but secondly because they filed suit against Michael Bay when the movie The Island came out because it's essentially the same story. Two people that were born into an organ farm in the distant future escape and start encountering people in the real world and realize that the facility they came from isn't like the last vestige of human life. It's actually just a farm where they're eventually they get killed and their organs are sold to people who look like them on the outside. That sounds good. I honestly think parts of Clone is Horror is better (laughs) than the island. I never saw the island either, but that's, I I think I'll start with this one. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's funny. Um, And watch the MST3K version. Yes, absolutely. I just remember there's like something where they find like a, a can of like Milwaukee beer or something like that. And they're like trying to pronounce the word or something. And Milwaukee. <laughs> Which is Algonquin for the good land. <laughs> the character that Keenan's playing is Seymour Berger, who is like a business rival of Max's. Right, yeah. They, but, they, they are the, the Macy's and uh, Gimbals. But it also <laughs> seems like he's kind of on his way out and he's letting his son take over the company. But his son is running a movie studio for Max and he's running it into the ground. It's, um, it's his grandson, though, right? Oh, you're right. It's his grandson. grandson. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because they have this his weird pansy grandson. His pansy grandson. <laughs> My marshal does not know another lady that has a pansy grandson. No reason to bring this plot point up whatsoever. Well, Max brings it up a lot too. But but, but there's but there's like there's no point to it. Like what's other than the '80s interpretation of a pansy as someone who's just like can't produce anything. Who's a failure. Yeah. I must tell you, this boy is a great disappointment to me. No great grandchildren. It's the end of the line. Well, I, but I think that that was also intentional as part of the setup that Max was being led into. Yeah. Like, oh, that this guy is worthless and like they're yeah, screwing him over. Yeah, cause, because when, when that big twist happens, I don't get into that, but yeah. um, he, he looks at Mikey with prizes. Everybody wants my Mikey because yeah. they made the deal with the other studio. Uh, so I, I feel like that that delivery of that line was to play to Max in okay. order to increase this uh, right. setup that he's going to be right. playing in. Yeah, so, so he's more convinced that that you know he's going to win in this deal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So part of Max Herschel's like conglomeration of companies, he has like like you pointed out, there's like a mining operation. There's like it's all sorts of they have their fingers in all sorts of crazy pies. But part of it is like a television station and a movie studio. And he keeps talking about how the movie studio is not going to make any money, but Bones wants to take it over. Right. And as much as like it seems like he's handed Bones everything, she does point out early in the film that he did give her like the job and he gave her like her position, but right. she won four Emmys right. Those on Those four her Emmys own. were hers. Max Finance, my TV company, <laughs> but I won the four Emmys on my own. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was her own due but diligence. But you know. It's an Emmy. So. Yeah, it's an Emmy. You, just, <laughs> you can buy those, too. I'm sure he bought them for her. Um, but, yeah, so what is the name of the studio? Independent Films? Or? Uh, well, I have it here. International Pictures. International? Mm-hmm. That's the name of the studio? That's the name of the, the studio that Max owns. Oh, but for then some reason, Cosmo, Independent Pictures. Cosmos is the rival studio? Right, which both seem like versions of Universal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, so he runs his studio, but he wants to get rid of it and just keep the prints and like the IP. Right, because he thinks, yeah, that's the only thing that's worth any money. Yeah, the library. because everything else is operating at a loss. He's basically, he's running Fox Studios like six months ago. And he's like, <laughs> let's just sell the whole thing and I'll keep the titles that I'm allowed to like sell home video. 
and uh and this guy who he let stay in charge of the studio turns out sold everything out from under him well, he, sold, a, he sold the print he sold the library yeah right from under him. yeah yeah that's that's the grandson of the seymour Berger character mike Berger, who's played by tony roberts um who is in taking a pelham 123 the first one the the good yeah, one the good one um yeah. I haven't seen the second one, so it might, it might not be bad. It's fair. It's but fair. Uh, but the first one's better, um, I assume. But it is. And he plays... <laughs> it's Walter Matthau. I yeah. Mean, you can't beat that. And he's that. saving the universe. He's that awesome. Was, that was part of the double feature of Walter Matthau saves the universe that Oh, the Charlie, Charlie Varick was yeah, the other it was, one? Yeah, it was Pelham and Charlie Varick, yeah, which is an a good insanely good film. It was a great double feature. That was yeah. so fun. And Charlie Varick... Um, was later remade as No Country for Old Men. Very, very similar story, but with a much more satisfying ending. <laughs> Although I, I like No Country for Old Men, but the ending of Charlie Varick is phenomenal. Um, Annie Hall, uh, he was uh, Woody Allen's like best friend that goes right. to all the parties with him. Um, and I guess he had a recurring role on Love Boat, but those are that's like the extent of his major roles that he had. What is the whole point of the uh, the wing for special diseases? I didn't like. Was that all part of the trick? Oh, yeah, it seemed I, like a setup. Yeah, I think I think Seymour Berger keeps trying to pitch Max Herschel a hospital in the middle of the city. I, I think he's trying to play up his declining health and mental state. Yeah, in, in my opinion, I, I I feel like that he wants to build this hospital. So it's like he he's looking. Max thinks that he wants a meeting to discuss business. Right. But it's no. It's like he's like, no. I want to give something back to the community. I want to build a hospital, and I want you to invest in my my dream of having this hospital. And Max is just convinced that he's lost it. And, but he wants to name it after Max, right? I but, guess in a way to like convince him to give him more money for it, right? And but also the fact that it's like the for rare and exotic diseases. Yeah. <laughs> a wing for special diseases. Special diseases. My business with you is a wing for special diseases. <laughs> uh, but I think all of that is playing into the the big twist, which we'll, we'll just describe it. Max goes down to the studio to basically to to fire Mike. Yeah, and well, not to fire him because he like he doesn't want to fire him yet because that's the whole that's yeah because he has too. a contract for eighteen um, more months or something. But he's just going to discuss the plan for the dismantling of the studio, and that's when they reveal that he sold all the negatives. And so that's when he gets enraged and fires him. And that causes a clause in his contract to be triggered where he's owed all the money that he would be paid. Yeah, they make it clear that it's a setup when after he gets fired, he stands up and walks to the phone at the other side of the room and says, did you get all that? You heard him fire me? Okay, we're good. And then Max goes over to the phone and fires the woman on the other end of the phone. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, so but from that point on, he realizes, okay, I see what you did. You sold all of our prints to Cosmos for a job at Cosmos so that you get, like, this insane bonus over there because you knew I was going to dismantle the studio. Right. See, but all of this... I mean, it's so funny that we've spent so long describing this entire random... Like, this was, like, a B story to the whole thing because, like, you know, none of that part involves the Bones character, like, at all. Well, it it will. Except that she wants to run the studio and he's not letting her run the studio. Right. But now it's worth less than nothing because he doesn't have the prints anymore. Right. So now it's like, well, what am I going to do with it? Just throw it away or give it to her because there's no, she can't even run it into the ground. It's literally just an empty studio with no prints. But she does get involved with 
Tony Roberts at Cosmos. Right. Because she wants to option this book, um, which at first I thought was written by RoboCop, but because like she she's she's reading it in his house, and I thought that that oh that's not his book. No, it's I thought a, it was his too. No, I, thought, I don't think so. So okay, so the, the the whole thing is like she's trying to get this playwright for her television show. Yes. right. So she takes him out to dinner, tries to like woo him to be on her television. But show. he's like famously anti-camera. Doesn't right, want to be right. So he doesn't want to do any of this. But for then, but for some random reason, after just meeting her once, he takes her up to a cabin like in the middle of. I don't know where are they Vermont. I don't know something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. like I think because he makes a big deal about who goes to Vermont. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and he also is like a completely off the grid, like zero emissions. Like there's no electricity. There's barely hot water. And he's Ed Bagley Jr. before Ed Bagley Jr. Right, well, and yeah, he's like literally like, telling her we weird. eat the garbage. Right, <laughs> like, I think it's weird to to invite her in the first place. Like this this TV producer who you're not interested in doing her show. You're just right. like come to my Vermont cabin for a few days. Well, like, she invited him to her house first, and they were very flirty there. Yeah, I guess it just it just seems like a like a weird thing to do. And then you bring this television producer up to your cabin. Uh, you know, but then at, you know, at the end of that scene, he sort of makes it clear that the only reason that he's taking her out there is to stick it to Max Herschel. Right, right. But he, what she thinks they're doing is having a discussion about potentially adapting a play that he wrote. Oh no, I think it's, I think it's still to. Well, okay, yeah, because he wrote a play. He wrote about... a play from the perspective of a terrorist. Correct. And they want to try to make that into a movie, but and and Tony Roberts is interested in it. But also on the side, she's interested in adapting this book on her own that she randomly found in his that, cabin. Yeah, that she <laughs> randomly found some novella that she's trying to buy the rights for by selling all her jewelry that Max gave her. Right. Well, because uh, he froze all the rest of her assets when you know when she started seeing this playwright. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when, soon, she, when she married, married him. him. Yeah. She, she just married ran, him on yeah, a whim at, after one, one, one weekend in Vermont, and they go and get married. <laughs> so she's suddenly getting offers from Mike Berger at, at Cosmos now to make a film of this story that she likes. Mm-hmm. Um, are we sure that it's not written by Peter Weller? I thought it was supposed to be his story. Well, because, but then why would she have such a hard time getting the rights? Yeah, no, it wasn't his book. Yeah, okay, because okay, she, she's ta- she's like negotiating with an agent about the rights, trying to undercut it. Um, but I think a great scene is when Max Herschel and Tony Robert, uh, Max Herschel and the playwright meet for the first time, and they're discussing his play um, at this party. Right, they go uh, they go off into the front yard and kind of on their own. Yeah, in the garden. Uh, and and he is totally the playwright uh, Peter Weller. The, is totally captivated by Max Herschel's like charisma. Yeah, and she's he's trying like, to. Oh, it's con- very flattering. Like he knows yeah, the play well. Shooting. He's yeah. he studied it, and but she's trying to convince him that no, he's he's setting you up to fail. It, he's he's entrapping you, and you don't see it. And he takes that offensive, like that he would fall for such a ploy. Yeah, basically, he Max thinks that the only reason that Bones is interested in this guy is because he doesn't care about cameras. And that he's the complete polar opposite of Max. And so Max is trying to show her right away, no, we're the exact same person. We both just want to be famous and have a lot of money. And so I'm going to make him feel like he's famous and is about to have a lot of money. And you're going to see him transform into me. And then you're going to leave this guy because he's worthless. And he takes the bait. It's a lot of work to get your mistress back. Yeah. That's true. But it's it's, it's his favorite. 
favorite mistress. Yeah, it's his favorite mistress <laughs> and practically his wife because we haven't mentioned her yet, but his wife for this entire film is completely out of her mind in like a sanitarium in Wisconsin. Yeah, because this man is a, is a psychopath who right. who is No, they're dis- both crazy people. No, yeah, he destroyed her mind. Yes. Yeah, no, I don't doubt that that was his doing. Psychological damage that he did to her. It's but not it's her not like it, he doesn't see her ever. Like it's, she spends the year flirting with her doctor at this sanitarium in Wisconsin. And there's there's another line we get from him early in the movie when he he calls her at the sanitarium and says, "Oh, my my daughter is engaged or getting married or it's her birthday. What is what is the celebration for?" Uh, well, the daughter is already married cuz she has a kid. Right. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's a birthday but uh it's something for his daughter who he calls baby yeah and he says oh you're gonna come out for this event at the house and she just loses it and goes crazy and the doctor picks up the phone and says no she's not she's not mentally prepared for this visit she can't come out to the house and then he says look here's what you're gonna do you're gonna bring her out to the house like i told you to and uh Oh, she said you're making meringues today yeah. at the sanitarium? Doctor, if she doesn't f*** up the meringues, freeze them and send them with her. I want everything I'm paying for. Because he's just the worst person in the world. He can't even let two garbage meringues go to waste. Like, I bring the macaroni art. We're going to hang that in the hallway. Yeah, we're going <laughs> to eat all the macaroni. Well, right. and it's weird, too, when he, when, when he says, oh, you're making meringues? He says, like, what, strawberry or lemon? I was like, what? Strawberry meringue? Is that a thing? Well, it depends on what kind of meringue you're talking about, like a Swiss meringue or a French meringue. Like oh, we got a meringue specialist here. <laughs> Not a meringue <laughs> yeah. specialist. I'm just saying. Like I think they were talking about making like the individual, like the crunchy kinds that you bake. Sure. Yeah. I, as opposed to a lemon meringue pie, which okay. is the, the soft kind. Actually, yeah, like, then I have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah. Then. <laughs> but yeah, so he does bring the meringues when the event ends up happening. But uh, at this party, he he's there with his wife, who is just losing it because he's, like, demanding everything of her and sent her doctor away immediately because he felt jealous and threatened by the doctor, even though he doesn't pay this woman any attention. And, uh, and Bones uh, comes to the party, and she brings the writer. Um, yeah, because his mistress, Bones... And his daughter are, like, really good friends, Yeah, they're actually, like, best friends. But since they're kind of broken up now, like, Max is trying to pretend like, oh, well, you know, I'm totally fine with it. You do what you got to do, and I'm just going to move on to the next mistress in line, this Kathy character, who, at the very beginning of the film, we see a new secretary starting. Her name is Kathy, and she's, she's like, trying to pick things up very quickly, but he kind of moves on to her, and it's like, all right, I'm going to be with this Kathy person now. And... Um, his daughter is not cool with that. His daughter is like, oh, you should you should get back together with Bones. Like, she just wants them to be together because Bones is her friend and she wants her friend to screw her dad for some reason. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so that's awkward. Yeah, and then, and then Bones decides to do, like, this, you know, so everybody that works for Max, like, has to sign these, like, you know, NDA-type things that they're, they're not going to talk about anything that happens in the company. Mm-hmm. And then she decides, you know, to make a bunch of money to, like, move on with this, you know, book that she wants to produce and do a movie. She's going to do some sort of, like, expose thing. On yeah, the she's news. just going to talk about him on television and yeah, get a bunch of money for it. But now, meanwhile, in the background, what she doesn't know is that there's this really famous vase oh, yeah. that Max has in his office that's worth a lot to him and a lot to um, Seymour. Seymour Berger. And uh, 
she wants to make this movie and Cosmos doesn't want to make a movie of the story that she's talking about. And I was almost certain after two viewings that the story that they're talking about is the one from the terrorist's perspective that Cosmos is like, that sounds radioactive to us. We're not going to do this. But um, Max gave Seymour the vase in secret in exchange for him greenlighting this project for her. Which is greenlighting the play that RoboCop wrote. Okay. Yeah. I the, thought, no, the vase. The vase was. Yeah. The vase was, was for, for the play. Okay. For the play, it wasn't for her film. Okay, that's what yeah. I thought. Yeah, yeah. And uh, because he literally just wanted her to be happy, is supposed to be the point of that story, is that he gives up right. this thing that means supposedly means a lot to him, even though it's just a dumb object, and he gives it to his rival to make his mistress happy, even after she has left him. Mm-hmm. And while they're at a party, a Cosmos party. And she's trying to talk up a new screenwriter to work on her project. She like wanders around the house and finds the vase in Seymour Berger's office. And then they have a conversation and he explains, Oh yeah, he gave it to me to green light your movie and my wife died. So now she's in it. Yeah. Another weird, like, like couldn't you just give her the vase and that'd be the end of that point? Like why did the wife have to die and be put in the vase? And then they had to make a big deal about the fact that she was cremated and they're Jewish. And like, that's not something that we do. And I honestly think the only reason that they mention her being cremated and being put in the vase is to show that this is a permanent transaction. That there's no way that Max is getting this face back. Like, there's, it's not like if he cancels the project, he's going to have to give the face back to him. Because it's like, no, my wife's ashes are in there, so you can't come to my house and take it. There's but, literally no way I would ever part with this now. But, and you probably don't even want it now. Well, but the deal is, when Seymour dies, he does get the face back. Right. And he <laughs> presumably just dumps the yeah, wife's ashes the wife out. <laughs> um, but, uh, also going out a limb that he's going to live longer than Seymour Berger. Right. Uh, I do, there's a really kind of awkward scene when, uh, at the party, at the Cosmos party. Yeah. Uh, when they're kind of walking around and she, uh, uh, Bones is led into a room to watch a film so the men can talk. And so she's put in with all the wives and girlfriends into a room to watch a screening and while they all kind of go off and Bones is just kind of like, what the hell am I doing here? Uh, because this is like her her deal all part of her deal but yeah mm-hmm. she's been pushed aside for so this. it can happen around her yeah um and that's when she goes and goes looking around and, meet, and meets seymour but i just uh that 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 moment just really stuck out to me where she's just kind of put in this room full of women who don't care that they're being put in the room but she right. does yeah which is like her defining characteristic is that she's she's much more like max than almost anyone else in the story and that she's like no i'm gonna have my way i'm gonna figure out how to get things done and i'm gonna do it without anybody's help if i have to um but the screenwriter that she talks to at the cosmos party is the michael gross character lothar (laughs) and he just tells her no sorry it sounds sounds like you guys aren't willing to pay what i cost at which point i think peter weller is basically saying he'll step up and write the thing Mm. um but uh michael gross obviously people know from uh his television work. Um, I know him from Tremors. Yeah, I was going to say, his television work of Tremors, Back to Perfection? Yeah. Well, the Back to Perfection is the third movie. Oh, what was the TV series? I think it was just called Tremors. Or, yeah, I think it was just called Tremors. And then that was the same name of the when Kevin Bacon shot that pilot. I think it was just called Tremors. Oh, yeah? Did you hear about that? Yeah, I heard about it. That's what I'm saying. I, like, d- I, was... I didn't get greenlit, which is crazy that they would make a Tremors pilot for another television series with kevin bacon in the lead role and 
it didn't get picked up. Yeah. But I would love to see that pilot. I could probably find it at work. Um, and obviously, people know him from Family Ties. Um, but yeah, so then basically she goes on television, gives that interview, describing like the NDAs and what he does to people, and then he has a heart attack. Yeah, or... Or, or an episode or something. Yeah. yeah some kind of a heart problem which he describes as a heart attack to his his medical team right even though um, two doctors are like you're fine yeah. it's you're good so they take him he to a hospital and he pacemaker. demands a pacemaker <laughs> and he's like telling him like specifically what brand of pacemaker he wants yeah what what battery yeah he's like don't give me that other battery from yeah from don't give me that Sido. medtronics battery <laughs> i'm gonna know i'm gonna know the difference um and uh while he's in the hospital um bones has found out about it and calls myrna loy to be like oh my god what happened i didn't think i did this to him and she's like this isn't your fault he's really strong he's and the doctor said he's actually fine he's just this is basically an elective surgery they couldn't kill him with a meat axe and then she hangs up and turns around and this really weirdly romantic music plays while she sits down at the counter with a big plate of brownies (laughs) yeah I think that she keeps making brownies over the course of this movie. And I think that was alluding to the fact that she's pregnant. Yes. Okay. So that's why she's eating a bunch of plates of brownies. But she's the first time she goes to make brownies is in the middle of the night at Peter Weller's house. Right. Well, I think it's a little unclear as to how much time is passing th- throughout this movie. Yeah. Like I think that it's like, you know, they make it seem like she gets married real quick and like all this stuff is happening I'm really still fast. not clear whose baby it is. And I've I don't seen know. it a couple times. I don't think it, they, I don't think it's clear. Well, it has to be Oh, no, cuz she does have sex with him after the first abortion. Yeah. After, after, the, after Immediately the first abortion. After, like yeah. the day after. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because she calls the abortion clinic again, but she doesn't say anything. She hangs up. Yeah. And and she says at the end that she's going to keep this baby. Right. But And like he asks, said, yeah, what are you going to name it? And and she says, Herschel. Yeah. You know, implying... Well, we're skipping a part here. Well, Which yeah. is, she goes back to the, this romantic interlude with her brownies, and then the <laughs> phone rings again, and she answers it, and it's baby, Max's daughter, saying, oh my God, you got to come quick. He's, you got to say your goodbyes, like trying to trick her into thinking that he's dying and also to get him get her to the hospital and uh so she goes to the hospital to see him because she thinks that she killed him with this interview and uh and it turns out he's totally fine and she on her way into the hospital she walks past kathy passed out on the on the chairs and who, who in got the dragged out of his room mm-hmm. yeah. you know screaming that she loves him and yeah you know, and she, she doesn't like, want him to die yeah he he does like a gesture to myrna lloyd like, of a sweeping away yeah. <laughs> he, oh, she's oh, completely infatuated with him already oh also max's wife died right <laughs> we yeah. glossed over that she also she? died yeah she yeah she choked on something beef oh, wellington. That's right. while beef he wellington. sat there and he said that he sat there and watched he was like I was I was just sitting there. There was nothing I could do. It's like it makes it sound really awkward that you well, just like. But, oh, but I baby fed does her say, a beef Wellington and she died after I fired her doctor. But baby does say like he was really like upset no, about and it. I, and I I believe that of the character. The point is supposed to be that like he didn't murder this person, but she died, and now he's free to marry his mistress. And uh, glad we cleared that up. Yeah, we cleared the path. There. Just in case anyone was worried this was a bad person. <laughs> right. We we definitely just you know threw some beef Wellington in there to kill the wife, and yeah. then now we're good. We can marry. Yeah, the we mistress. kill a lot of wives in this movie. Yeah, off screen for almost no reason. Um, and then uh, and uh, so she gets to the hospital, and they have like this really long 
shot like yeah, a great. slow zoom conversation between the two of them which they unless there's cue cards right off screen they have these lines memorized for a solid four minutes and uh and it's just the two of them arguing like love hate arguing with each other about what they've done over the past couple months and she says she's going to make the movie he's going to give her the studio and he's basically negotiating yeah negotiating their uh, prenuptial agreement (laughs) but it's hardly negotiating because he's kind of giving her into every demand that she makes over the course of it not really i mean i mean so she's like what are you going to do with kathy well he he, says he's going to yeah he's he's like like, that girl loves me that she loves me it's so (laughs) creepy like that that line is so creepy to me like it honestly sounds like trump in the access hollywood tape like the way he talks about kathy yeah let me tell you something sweetheart that little girl she loves me i mean she's in love with me she's a very special little girl Bright and nice and good, and I adore her. I could wind up married to Kathy. She's a wonderful girl. Like that's just so creepy. Well, Trump is loosely based on this character, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, a millionaire with a wife that you know just choked to death on a beef Wellington. A lot of people don't know that about uh, Uh, Ivana. Which wife? Uh, (laughs) I forget which one did that. Anyway, um, and then over the course of this this argument, he he reads the title of the film. Just tell me what you want. (laughs) for i think the third time out loud in the film that the title is spoken it's also spoken once in mcgruber just tell me what you want (laughs) and once in a spice girl song (laughs) slightly Uh, different context uh we we kind of skipped over one one aspect of uh from the beginning of the movie where it opens up with the fight scene right because the 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 opening narration is her kind of walking out of a store as max is walking in and it freeze frames on her like hitting beating him over the head with a purse. purse yeah. yeah. But the actual fight goes on and causes all kinds of severe collateral property yeah. damage. He's like knocking stuff out of people's hands, running through the store, well, crashing throw- into things. Yeah, she throws like a thing at a whole display of like perfumes that shatter. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if you watched the trailer for this movie, but it like it's entirely that scene. And so like all the all this lengthy like plot that they have in here and all these B stories and all this stuff that's happening, none of that's in the trailer. The only thing that's in the trailer is her Going beating the crap out of him. Yeah. And so it just makes her look like, oh, it's a movie about a crazy mistress. Like it's not yeah. it's not even clear that first of all, like he's the bad a, guy. a psychopath that's yeah. doing psychological damage to these women. And yeah. you know, on top of that, that she like has totally legitimate reasons for being furious with him and it's just and it makes you think that it's just like some yeah like some silly rom-com that you know that's yeah. like she chases him out into the street and he's like trying to get into his limo but the doors are locked so he yeah. has to go well, around it to get on the other side and they use the line in the trailer they use the line just tell me what you want from one of the times that he said yeah. it in the movie and then it just cuts to her kneeing him in the balls like that's what you want just yeah. to knee you in the balls but that's about it for the story of the film um i don't think that it ages well um in a in the me too sense no not at all i mean it was like so the first time i watched this movie i was just like i think you were angrier the first i was really livid like i watched this movie i'm just like this is appalling i can't this is like this is just terrible and then you know, I calmed down a little bit and people told me, like, you guys told me, it's like, well, put it in the context of the of the era in which it was written. Yeah. And that makes it only slightly better. And then yeah. I look up and I'm like, oh, Jay, uh, Jay Press and Allen, like, 
you know, female and, writer and screenwriter. Well, no, writer. I'm like, how do you know who is this guy? Oh, oh. it's a woman. <laughs> how did a woman write this movie? Yeah, and you know, and it's not even a letter. It's the it's the name J. Press well, it's not out. even her real name. Yeah, it's like she changed it. to She Jay. probably literally changed it so that she could get work in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, probably. Though you know, it said you know it was said. I read that she she said she never felt discriminated against in Hollywood. Right. You know. That's what you say to stay on the good graces of the people that are that are discriminated you against work. you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The people who get to go the highest in the in the hierarchy are the ones who pretend like there's no problems anywhere. Everything's yeah. great, at least at the time. Um, yeah. Uh, why don't we do a quick round the table and say up or down? Is this movie worth watching? And I'll start if you guys want. I'm going to say nah. If you if you're if you're looking to watch everything that matters from the 1980s, you can skip this one. Yeah, it's a definite skip. Yeah, I'm gonna have to also give this the the old pass. All right, <laughs> so that's that's three three no goes on this one. Um, and if you want to check our letterboxed account at letterboxed.com/slash/vintagevideopod, uh, you can find our rankings for the year. Um, and each of us is going to put this in the number one slot. It won't so stay far. there long. No. <laughs> um, but we'll keep updating this as we go. Uh, but unfortunately, because this is the only movie so far from the 1980s, it will be the highest rated. But as a plus, it will also be the lowest rated. Um, <laughs> why don't we get into some trivia here? Loosely relevant to uh, the film. Um, the first question, I guess just raise your hands. <laughs> who played dick and dora parodies of nick and nora in robert moore's murder by death you should probably call it all right the richard. only person who R- has his R- hand up <laughs> richard has raised his hand uh that would be uh david niven and maggie smith that is correct oh, right right um what is the original title of the film tremors hint they had to change it because of Saturday Night Live. The Blues Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I asked this question to someone at work to test today, and he was like, Coneheads? <laughs> like, that's not a terrible answer. It's oh, not correct. Oh, oh. Is it Landshark? Landsharks was the original <laughs> oh, title really? of Tremors. Yeah. But uh, that was like right when that sketch became really popular, and they were like, oh, okay, well, we can't do this anymore. Um, I think Tremors is a much better title anyways. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. Um, What recent real commercial did Peter Weller recently reprise the role of RoboCop for? Uh, Oh. I know this one too. In a commercial? Yeah. (laughs) This was like a month ago. stupid, like a Doritos commercial. No, it's better. It's better. (laughs) Richard. (laughs) It's Peter Weller as RoboCop. As Colonel Sanders. Oh! <laughs> it is actually him. That's that's true. I, we're doing the rotation where everyone gets a shot at being uh, yeah. Colonel Sanders. That's here. definitely the best one so far. And they've done a really good job with that KFC campaign, but that was the best one. I'll have to watch that. Um, what is the three-letter code that Keenan wins Colonel Bat Guano chose as the combination to deactivate the Doomsday device in Doctor Strangelove? A three-letter code? Yeah, it's three letters that turn off all the nukes and turn the planes around so they don't set uh, off the doomsday device OFF? No. <laughs> uh, ABC No, nobody knows this one 
well there's they if after he kills himself in the movie they have to go through his own personal notes to try and figure it out and they find all these notes about purity of essence because he's obsessed with like fluoride and uh and so the letters are p or o p e but it's just a rearranging of the letters p o e purity of essence or peace on earth so those are the letters that he chose but he put them in the order OPE that was the recall code to get the planes to turn around and not nuke Russia I like my answer better yeah OFF I, yeah, I, gotta, <laughs> I gotta say that's a pretty obscure bit of trivia but I love it well I remember it that was one I didn't have to look up or anything it's also makes an appearance in uh, Raising Arizona it's like scrawled on the back of the bathroom door at, when they bust in to like clean themselves off after they <laughs> climbed out of the hole in the ground um, and then the last question uh in this batch is what does love mean in love story i haven't seen love story i also have not seen love story very popular phrase love means never having to say you're sorry correct oh very nice (laughs) there you go that's i just know that because i never apologize for anything i do to you (laughs) for me love means always having to say you're sorry (laughs) um that is the two sides of our relationship (laughs) i think that's everything for this movie um if you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us we are vintage video pod on twitter facebook instagram and letterboxd where as i said before you can also find each of our full movie rankings for the year it's also linked to on our website vintagevideopodcast.com uh please consider rating us on itunes to help people find the show and if you find the time please leave us a review and we will personally thank you at the end of an upcoming episode uh, if you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through Patreon at patreon.com slash vintagevideopodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Windows, which Wikipedia calls a 1980 erotic thriller film directed by Gordon Willis and starring Talia Shire, Joseph Cortese, and Elizabeth Ashley. We leave you now with the trailer for Windows. Someone broke in. He's never going to catch you, did it? I can't live here anymore. I can't. You don't have to say anything you don't want to say. I can't. I want you to stay home. And don't let anyone in. What is it? Hello?